Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? Good morning, Emily. Morning, Grandpa. Wow, you've been reading the news about Israel? Unfortunately, yes. Well, let's see. You're a political science student. Yes. Jewish. Yeah. You spent a semester in Israel. Yes, when I was like 15, probably a little young, but I I lived. (laughs) Well, I know. Actually, if I remember right, you turned 16 in Israel. correct. So I was 15 when I went, and then I turned 16. You went when you were 15, you came back when you were 16. Amazing. Wow, the passage of time. We visited you there. We had dinner with you. I remember that. Multiple dinners. They were very delicious. But we on your 16th birthday in Israel. Yes. So I guess the question now is, well, particularly as a political science student, yeah. Emily, you can tell us, is Israel a democracy? So there are two a question. Well, but there are two. I want to frame it this way. There's at least two perspectives. One is Israel and being Jewish and Israel as a democracy. And how do they intersect? And does it matter to you? As, what, and what difference does it make? Yeah. So I think that's a really, 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 really big question. There are two questions. Oh, no, it's just one about the, the democracy and. But from two perspectives. Judaism, yeah, those are really big. Fine, those are really big questions, plural. It's definitely something that I heard a lot about when I was in Israel. <laughs> definitely heard people talk a lot about it. I mean, it is narrowly contradictory. If you have a democracy that's just a democracy, then the people vote on what the laws are, and then you throw the Jewish aspect of it in. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that there has to be a Jewish majority? I don't, I don't think so, because then it's not democracy. Because the thing about democracy is people are always coming up with new ideas of how to how to run the place. And we try things, they work, they don't work, we come up with new ideas. And so, Judaism has these very ancient laws. And yes, you can provide commentary on the laws, but it's nearly impossible to reconcile the two. And Israel has been an interesting attempt to do so. so right? and a lot of people, Israelis, have asked that question. A lot of Palestinians have asked that question. A lot of Palestinians, like, they're Palestinians, like, or Arabs who live in Israel, who are Israeli citizens who vote, who are like, we, we got one woman who married, she's actually British, she married into a Palestinian family, very much assimilated into the culture, and she was like, if you can tell me what it means to be Jewish and be a democracy, let me know, because I have no idea. I don't know what that looks like. What does it mean? Like, no one, no one really knows, I think, is the answer. No one, everyone's like, they say this, but no one really knows what it means, and every, no one has an easy answer on what it looks like. It's definitely a question being asked by people within Israel, yes. Well, no, I want to go way back, (laughs) because I think the current conversation is, what makes it not a democracy? And the argument is around, it's easy to say, oh, it's terrible. There's representative democracies, there are republics, there are various forms of government, even in the West, Western part of the world, that work differently. Britain doesn't have a constitution, I don't believe. They do. A written constitution? Yeah. Britain? 
Well, I'm not sure. I thought they definitely there's a constitutional monarchy. That's the term for it. It's a constitu- they have a constitution. They do constitutional monarchy. There are other places that are considered democracies, like Israel. They don't have a written constitution. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's. I mean, I think it functions. The British constitution functions in different ways than the American one does. And so, do, but, so does Israel. They're parliamentary systems that are different. Some are Israel has only one house. Obviously, Britain has multiple houses, and they evolve. But one of them is more ceremonial. Correct. Right. But the point is, they, I was about to say, it's evolved from what it was originally. And even how we were, the United States had the, I believe, the Senate electing the president initially, or the elect. No, it wasn't. It was the state legislators elected the yeah. Senate. Even today, there was even the argument that the electors could be chosen by a state government. Well, they are today, yes, for the electoral college. So there is no guarantee at the highest number of individual votes. In fact, we've had a number of presidents elected by because of- Not on the popular vote. Not on the popular vote. So is a democracy only popular votes? So there is a bit of debate, not a bit, a lot of the debate, the current- Knesset is arguing in the the, government that other parts of the world are no better and that they're just trying to clarify the system. So when you have, I'm a bit sympathetic to the argument that if the standard of a Supreme Court is reasonableness of the laws, it makes them the unelected controllers of what the laws are going to be by a very vague standard. Yeah, there, there definitely is that. I mean, they call it the Supreme Court, but it really functions in a very different way than our Supreme Court does. It not so much interpretation of the laws according to the Constitution, so much as just like they're the highest court of appeals. Those are the Supreme Court here. Well, not necessarily. The Supreme Court here it is technically the highest court of appeals, but it doesn't hear like the Israeli Supreme Court hears way more cases than the Supreme Court here does because the Supreme Court exists for the purpose of interpreting the Constitution. Which one? I'm sorry. Our America's Supreme Court exists for the function of interpreting the Constitution. So they can choose which cases they want to take all the way up because they're choosing them based on this will impact the interpretation of the Constitution set a precedent that either alter an existing precedent or set one that have, doesn't really exist yet, or it will result in the interpretation of the Constitution in a new way. That is really, really the function of the Supreme Court, not to be the highest appeals court, that it's to be the interpreters of the Constitution. So in Israel, it's different. It's just basically the highest appeals court. They don't really get to pick and choose their cases as much. It's just a high appeals court. That's really all it is. But so high, both are the highest courts of the land. Yes. There's a written constitution in the United States. There's not one in Israel. Yeah. The function, I don't know enough about Israel to agree with you yet, but then there is an interim level of court. There are, yes. There absolutely So are. they take appeals from those courts. Yeah. There's some... Cases that probably can go directly to the Supreme Court. You know, in the United States, there are cases that could go to the Supreme Court. Yes, I do. Yes, yes. But they, they, so I don't know that there's quite as different. I agree with you that it appears that there's more cases that go. But the, the biggest difference to me, as I understand it, is the absence of a written document. Yeah, there's not a constitution. I agree. But I feel like the solution to this, if you want to make the Israeli Supreme Court more like the American Supreme Court where they interpret the constitution, and where you're trying to get rid of the like reasonableness of the law, I feel like the solution to that is not get rid of the court. 
it's to reform the court to make it better. I don't think that there should not like to reform the court to take it oh strip it of its powers. I don't think that. Could so be. I'm I'm sort of taking the argument of the parliament at the moment. Reasonableness, which they've applied to everything, including rulings of ministers, including the laws passed by. Now, what's reasonable is a very vague standard, and then what is it judged against when there are no written words? There may be a history and a tradition, but there are no written words against which being reasonable. If the word were blue and Parliament said that black wall is blue, the court might say that's unreasonable. But if it is a very deep blue, judged by color experts and plain eyesight, and could the court say it's unreasonable to call that blue? So it gets the absence of words which they measure it against gives them unique, the court, a power almost equivalent to parliament in deciding what laws are or aren't and what's permitted. Now, I worry because the motives of this government seem to be corrupt in many ways. And it gets to be a little bit more complicated in that way. When it's because the corrupt parliament wants more freedom to be corrupt, and I don't even know what the new standard they're proposing, other than it can't be. They're not really proposing any new standard. They just say it can't be reasonable. I don't know, or they can't judge there. And it's to increase the power of, but the argument is at least the parliament is elected. Well, so that's interesting. So we were talking about definitions of democracy, right? Right. And I feel like what Israel wants is what he did it. Was it John Adams? One of the founding fathers described it as tyranny of the majority, when the majority is elected and they just do whatever they want, pay no respect to the ideas of the minority. So, um, right, so right, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. So I took this class last year. It was called Citizen Civility and Change. And it kind of gave me a new perspective on what democracy is. I always kind of just thought of democracy as people voting and for candidates who promote certain policies and then whoever gets the majority gets to enact the policies that they like. Well, the democracy I learned about in that class was much more discussion-based. It was, let's all come around the table. We have a common problem. We have a problem. Let's come around the table. Let's talk about this. Is it a problem? Why is it a problem? What can be done about it? What are our different perspectives on this issue? That Let's share them. Our perspectives come from our life experiences. And it's about working together to come to a consensus. And it's really changed my idea of what democracy is. I think democracy is people sitting down together, hashing out solutions to a, a common issue. And I think democracy is making sure everyone has a seat at that table more so than it is just electing people and voting for people and doing whatever you think is the right idea. It definitely gave me a new perspective on what democracy is and can be. Yeah. No, I would agree with that, that if you get one vote majority, just as an example, and then you get to implement all everything you want exactly as you want, no matter what. That the minorities have no rights or standings, and if you do it through the legal system, you can deprive the the minority because that is in many ways in this complex place called Israel. Yeah, it's a moment that this majority under a system that they seem to be wanting to do, you know, majority rules. We get to decide. An already problem of both Palestinians, citizens, and residents, or the non-citizen Palestinians, are subject to tyrannical rule and lack of rights. And you know this 
sort of comes back to our two state, one state, but the, underneath it is what kind of state is it? And, you know, so I'm agreeing with you. I, I think that the challenge here is, well, there are many challenges, but you know, there are there are some valid arguments or criticisms of the parliamentary system in Israel and the need for that oversight. Every democracy requires checks and balances. Yes. And, you know, the fiction of the elections in Israel are that people don't vote for specific candidates. Or the no, they, candidates. they vote for the party. Yeah. They vote for a party. So the makeup of that government and their parliament are not decided by people. Right, it's decided by the heads of party decided to form a coalition. Well, and who the exact individuals are. So does it matter the integrity of the individual or simply that they wear the label of a party? So in Israel, they've got some, I think it's a minister, somebody who's been convicted, has been in jail, has been known to be a fraudster, who's heading you know, departments. And is it tolerable? And then, so we intermix the Jewish part. So I'll jump in on that. And right, then you're throwing, making it a Jewish democracy into this hot mess well, of, a, of a mix. Not only that, but actually, I guess I need to be clear. The Jewish interest, if you will, is a place of right of return that it carry Israel as a state carries with it. The Shoah, if you will, the Holocaust, and the, the vision that there's always a safe place for Jewish people to go, no matter what in the world, driven by the history. And democracy be damned. We're now actually confronted with democracy for both Jewish and non-Jewish residents. Well, that's what democracy is. Democracy is everybody. Well, in Israel, because of the... So this is a dilemma. I don't think it has to be an an or they mean and. I think the Palestinians are from the same piece of land, and they have very much of a historical right to that land as the Jewish people do. And I think that Palestinians were driven out by Jewish people in what, 67, was it? I it was think expanded they, in 67. In 67, have a right to return to that land every bit as much as Jewish people do because they have every bit of a valid claim to that land as the Jewish people do. Well, the Jewish... Orthodox go biblically. Oh, the Bible was so long ago. Oh my God, so many things happened in between the Bible and now. I feel like that was like three thousand years ago. That was three thousand years ago. A lot happened in between. A lot of other people have moved in. A lot of identities have changed. What it looks like to be Jewish looks very different now than it did three thousand years ago. What it means to be Palestinians? They had a lot of other names, like they were called the Palestinians by the Egyptians and the Philistines by the Greeks. What it means to be Palestinian plus it, Philistine, as it also looks a lot different now than it did 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years is a really long time, and a lot happened in between then and now. And I feel like you have to consider that. And what happened 3,000 years ago is not the only thing that matters at all. A lot happens. That's a very forthrightly stated, <laughs> well stated. Thank you. Perspective that I don't I hear that much in the discussion that there is underneath it from, even in the Reformed Jewish world, from what I would consider the political right, that there is, Israel is the land of the Jewish people. But it's also the land of the Palestinians. They've also lived there for a very, very, very long time. 
So, you know, I think we have talked about this once before, and I said I came back from my last trip being a one-stater, but I wanted a democratic one-state that I didn't think two states worked because I thought it was a, you know, a jerry-rigged thing where they're going to build tunnels under one place to go to the other, and you had this state there and that state there. I agree. It's kind of, so we, but, you need, but you need a, a singular, if you have a singular state, you have to have what you started with, strong protections for minorities as well as a functional governance of the majority. And my dream would be you could have, it doesn't matter the ethnic background of the mayor of any city or even the president, as long as the civil rights, the rule of law applied to everyone. Equally, and that there are really strong protections to make sure that they're being enforced equally. But that's not the world, even in democratic areas and states. And it's a high bar. I'm sort of criticizing my own vision. <laughs> it's a high bar. It's hard. I mean, yeah. Well, it's so interesting. It, it, it's well, I'm we, not. Well, we need to get past this history in part. We need to begin to build traditions of more inclusiveness and more democracy. And we seem to be going backwards on that because we need generations growing up where they see a more inclusive world and the, the others. I mean, this is true in everything that whether it's race or religion or sexuality, that the other is not an enemy to be destroyed or killed. Thank you. Uh, and you would think it's not that hard to think. And yet it is, you know, Thinking about, you're going to help me here, a new item in the news, the Irish song, Sean O'Connor was her name? Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. But I don't remember her that much, but seeing her tear up the picture of the Hogan and Howard, her own arc, you know, and maybe Ireland's a good place to see that because so much of its history have been deadly battles and you know, people can be martyrs for causes, but the treatment of people, the demonization of people who don't agree with you, whether it is on your faith, that the idea that there's only one right way to behave in the world. I think you and I are similar that, you know, we can live in community with differences. Yeah. We just can't have either or thinking. Either I'm right or you're dead. Yeah. Oh, I just like to talk now. Please. You can't talk. There's so many thoughts. So, okay. It is difficult. And the human brain, I think it's easy to search for definitives, right? It's easy to say, this is definitely what's right and this is definitely what's wrong. Then you never have to doubt yourself. So you can just say, this is what the right thing is. And I'm just doing the right thing. Everyone else is wrong. And that's, it's easy, really easy to think that way. And a lot of people take comfort in that and thinking, I'm right and all these other people are wrong. So we talked to is very interesting. When we went to Israel, we talked to a woman. I mentioned her earlier. She's British, married into a Palestinian family, very much assimilated into the culture. And she lived in a Palestinian village that is west of Jerusalem. And she's kind of like, so, you know, we're Palestinian. Like the green line is the line that divides Palestine from Israel. And it's called that because some general sat down with a map, I took a green pen and drew a line. And she's like, so why did that I don't get to live in Palestine, my country? Because some general sat down and drew a line on a piece of paper. No, I don't get to live in a country of other people with my ethnic background. Like, why is that? And like, when you when you put it that way, it, the border seems very arbitrary and very 
Like, yeah, why, why, why is that? That's not, that's not right. That's not fair. Why is that? And so it, it definitely makes the border seem very, very arbitrary. I think a lot of people who haven't been to Israel don't really recognize that. Like, yeah, there are Arabs who live in Israel because they're really happen to be on the other side of the line that some generals drew on a map one time. And yeah, it, it's all very arbitrary. In some ways, history is arbitrary. Yeah. And also, I have another thing, another thing to talk about. So, I mean, I think the country is small enough that it makes sense to have one body to govern basic things, like really infrastructure, like electricity and roads and running water, like having different authorities to govern those different things in such a small area where the borders are all funky. It just doesn't make sense to govern that land in that way. It just doesn't make any sense. But all that means to say, it's like people are like, oh, I would like want my school to do it. If I'm Arab, I'm like, oh, I'll make it to speak Arabic and go to a school with other people who are Arabic. Well, sure, we can build schools that are Arabic and then next year have a school that people speak Hebrew. And you can have those schools be governed. Within a school district has to be contiguous, right? Who said so, right? Nobody said so. Nobody said so. It's exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. But I have an argument with that. Okay. Because that, in some ways, is the way it is. There is no standardized school system. That's in true. Yeah. Israel government has a set of rules that govern, I think, everything, but a variation on it. It, it limits curriculum, but it allows diversity. So we talked about it, I think, before. So when I was there, we learned that you can have Palestinian schools, you can have Christian schools, you can have Orthodox Jewish schools, you can have Reformed Jewish schools. Everybody just has to say that they conform to the state standards. Right. If you don't feel like you belong in any of those categories. But that promotes separation. I would argue that America's democracy and success in part is due to public school. Now, we, you know, we have growing privatization, but a democracy also involves assimilation of people into a larger culture. Well, that's what they, a lot of people don't want. I mean, like every side of that. So if you want a singular country that's legitimate, the woman that we met with, there was a woman we met with in, who was a Palestinian Israeli. She knew just north of Haifa. And her complaint was that the Israeli Department of Education prevented them from using the word Nachbar in their curriculum. Now, for people listening, Nachbar means tragedy day. That's the day that Palestinians give to the day of Israel's Independence Day. So the Israelis celebrate Independence Day, and the Palestinians mourn it as tragedy day. Well, I, I, I also, I very much disagree with the not letting them use the word Nachbar in school. I think everyone should learn the history from all sides, and I think that's a, that's a, that's on that. But if you do that, aren't you creating the idea that your neighbor, the Jewish Israeli, is responsible for the tragedy, therefore they are the enemy. Not necessarily. Your kid, the kid who's five years old didn't do anything. And I think you have to learn what happened to everybody from everybody's perspective. I think that's history. And it shouldn't be taught in a biased manner. I think that we need to learn that this was like for these people. This was what this was like for these people. And the people... And children should be allowed to draw their own conclusions based on an unbiased as possible retelling of what happened. I feel like people are really scared to let children do that. They need to draw their own conclusions about what happened based on the information given to them. And we shouldn't be trying to curate children's opinions. Wow. To reach conclusions that we want them to reach. Wow. Well, you know, I'm not quite sure how to 
respond to that because I do think there is a current value system that needs to prevail to have a singular community. Who said it had to be a singular community? Is singular, so even like the question here is, is a singular community necessary for democracy? And when you want to bend the singular, maybe you're misinterpreting. I feel like that's what you're saying. Well, I'm not saying that. Okay. What are you going to have diversity, but you cannot have enemies living there, people who hate each other as existential enemies trying to be in part of the same community. You cannot be okay. in community with the person who sees you as the devil. Little devil. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. And that is teaching that? not far as tragedy day and want people to take the, take the kids that you're saying they are well, you have to be people are together at their homes. Well, 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 that's a tragedy. Well, if in modern Mardini, this day is a day to mourn because your neighbors and the people who did that to you sit next to you. That's what you're taught. No. And that is and then, no, hold on. In Israel it is what they're Israel government doesn't want to be taught as a tragedy day that you can say that tragedies happen on both sides of that war because bad things happen on both sides. But one thing was way better than the other. Well, let me finish my thoughts. Okay. Do you, are you done? Well, no, but go ahead. No. Okay. So what I'm saying is not this is a tragedy, this is a good thing. These people view it as a good thing. Here are their reasons. These people view it as a bad thing. Here are their reasons. Now you go and draw your own conclusions about what happened. Children can't do that. You underestimate children. No. You underestimate children. You grew Stop up, underestimating children. You grew, I read it. You grew up in this culture. You're like it or not. How you see the world is based on what you've got in grade school and high school. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. That's family. why you give both of them to the children. And if you if you were grew up in a home in which you were told that every bad thing happened to you was because of the people across the street. And when you get old enough, you get to take over and make their lives miserable. That's what's happening in Israel. Okay. That is not a good government. That is not a good place to be. That's not democracy. And it is like they need to leave. And in fact, that is happening. That's the debate in Israel. Those are the other. They don't belong here. And right now it's saying, we're putting them in Gaza. That's a world they could just kill themselves. We don't give a shit. As long as they don't shoot at us. Right? And they have to, it's even worse than that. And the normal and natural response is to see the Israelis as the evil enemy. You grow up in an environment where you, well, how you see and experience the world is based on culture, teaching, and family. Yes, there will be enlightened people who can somehow escape those things. But if the history of the world shows, you know, again, look at Ireland and Catholic Ireland and the rest, and the history of war is a death around that. We need, I don't agree that it's all right to teach that somebody else is responsible for your misery and then try to say, but you should be able to live normally with them. How do we create a singular culture of values without necessarily saying you can't be uh, Catholic or Jewish or agnostic or whatever. So the dream would be you can have a diverse world and you can learn things. And yes, I can learn that Palestinians considered it a tragedy for this reason, but we live in a different world today. And how do you teach the values of the world today, not of 3,000 years ago? Go back to your point. Mm -hmm. Yes, that happened. You know, so, so bring it to the American context. We cannot whitewash or 
minimize the impact of slavery, correct? And that's what I think is happening to some degree in Florida or, or here, black slavery and Jewish slavery. When you're a slavery, you went out and brought up stones in Egypt, and you were really good at that. In slavery, you were owned by somebody, and you got to learn how to be a black slave. That didn't mean there was anything good about the slavery, but it was a reality, and you teach the reality of it. But you also need a modern value system where there is no slavery. And the, every human life is valuable. And you don't have to believe in just, my God, okay, I'll stop. You have some thoughts. Yes, I do have some thoughts. So I think the way you teach that is you say, hey, we live in a world that's kind of messed up because your parents messed it up. Or your grandparents messed it up. Or your grandparents messed it up. But we can make the world different. We have the ability to make a different world. And we can do that through the institutions. Teach that to kids early. Teach it to them young. And teach them how to do it. Give them some level of autonomy in the classroom through small democratic systems and teach them how to use them. Teach them how to sit down and have a conversation with one another. Say, hey, we have a collective problem. Let's figure out how we can sit down together and come up with a solution that's good for everybody. Teach kids young that they have the ability to make a difference and create a system where everyone does have the ability to make a difference, to make the world a better place. And teach that it is not Making the world a better place, I feel like it's viewed by many people who are opposed to making kids feel guilty about this or that thing happening. We have to teach kids that to make the world a better place is not some punishment for what your ancestors did. To make the world a better place is the best thing that we as humans can do. It is our strength. Democracy is our strength. To make the world a better place is the most important thing we can do. We are so lucky that we live in a world and we have a system that allows us to create positive change and that it is a blessing and it is a good thing that it is not a punishment. To make the world a better place is not a punishment. It's the best thing that we could possibly do. And it is a good thing. It's something that makes us feel good. And it, it, it's a good thing to do. That's what you have to teach. That's how you teach it. So if we do that, yeah. Well, how do you do that in the context when you're sitting in this school system with a curriculum that is only for people of your ethnic background? Well, that's why you don't do that. But, it is the, but, that's, but now you did it. You're agreeing with me teaching Nakbar as tragedy today because it's only for those people in that class because they're Palestinian and their history had this happen to them and they carry that forward. It's a complex problem. How do you not carry that forward? You know, at some point, and, I, and this is another way to say it, and it's a, it's a more real politic or real politics or real life. Eventually, one day, we won, you lost, get used to it. You know, how long do you keep the Palestinian-Israeli conflict alive? How do you move to the system you just described? I don't I mean, have all the answers, and I'm not going to pretend to. No, I understand, but I'm just trying to explain that my objection to all... I mean, I sort of agree with Israel that they can't continue to teach them. That's why I believe in public schools that are... Even in this country where you have a growth of private religious schools that ban books and limit ideas and say, this is the way, this is truth, and everything that happened otherwise is bad and evil, and you need to get out there and fix it. And, you know, we've taken a long time to get, you know, some of the hardest things to do are to learn how to live together with differences. Yeah. And to me, that's the, you know, how do we build loyalty to community and peace and not to any particular unique view of the world. And that's hard. I don't know the answer. Well, America yeah. is supposedly a melting pot. That's not. Well, but you know, and again, we get into a whole other thing. 
I don't like melting pot if that means everybody has to merge into the same view of the world, as opposed to a melting pot where we learn how to live comfortably with people with different points of view. Yeah. And I think that that's important. I don't know whether what's going on in Israel, you know, my instinct is to be against whatever the ultra-right is doing, and then reading a number of more nuanced conversations about getting a more structured, similar legal system to different kinds of democracy. What I don't see and what bothers me is honoring every human life in Israel and finding a path ultimately to a singular state that allows both ultimate you know, right to return, which is life for everybody, and that if Palestinians were being just you know, slaughtered someplace, they could come back to Israel. Because everybody, the answer to that has been, oh, wait a minute, the ultra, well, the, you read in the paper state, the ultra-Orthodox are have, having more babies. They're going to take over Israel and they're going to have all the extreme. And so we have to somehow limit the ultra-Orthodox. So the Palestinians and Arabs are grabbing more babies and they're going to take over. So we can't, you can't have a, a democracy where the largest number of people are from a different background. And that goes back to what was your important point. How do you have a democracy with strong minority rights and or principles that are not that you can't violate, right? So that's what, in some ways, constitutions do. Ah. That you can have variations within a system, but there are core values beyond which you can't change. And that would be the right to vote, the right to the rule of law, that you can't be arbitrarily imprisoned, that you have to, you know, all sorts of limits on power for everything. Yeah. And we don't see that happening in Israel. Now, well, who did Israel? One of the concepts we learned about in a class that just was the hardliner problem, which is basically that there are people who just want there to be conflict. They don't actually want any solution. They hate the other side of the passion. And they will sabotage any attempts at peace because they don't want peace. They want conflict always. And... Well, and that makes it difficult. And there are people who do it for their own power and control. Yeah. And so that's autocracy. That's where you develop kingdoms and kings. And that's one of the reasons this country got rid of it, that there are different classes of people because of their birth, right, and heritage are entitled to more. And that anybody who questions it either has to be stopped or destroyed. And it's complicated. And Israel is sort of the center of that in, in many ways. Are the because there is a risk that ultra orthodox want to impose a, a religious view to be lived out and governed according to three thousand year old theory. Yeah, because quote God told us it's no better than other a church that would say we are the only authentic voice of Christ or God. Yeah, yeah. and everybody else has to be destroyed. The either orness of the world is the source of some of the you know huge tragedy, and it's complicated. And maybe that's how we end it. Yeah, how <laughs> every discussion about Ethiopian it's complicated. You know, I had this vague hope that over time we can get rid of these barriers. In fact, I'll even challenge to get rid of the not bar idea that. Well, it was a tragedy. People were kicked out of their homes and never allowed to return. That's tragic, and there's no denying that. But that the day it lives in infamy. It's sort of like saying— It does. Well, hold on. So what, what about—let's say they get us back in the— 
I don't agree with that. December 7th. Do you know what happened on that? Or December? Pearl Harbor. Right. A day that will live in infamy. I'm okay if Palestinians want to say that day lives in infamy and we have peace with Japan. And how do we have peace in Israel over that day and become a singular country? Not with saying, but if we, all we do is teach that... Wait, you only teach that. You teach that it was good for these people and it was bad for these people. But if we teach that people are always an enemy because of it... That's what we have to not teach. Well, then how do, that's the challenge. Yeah. Okay, we agree. We agreed on saying today. All right. Well, looking forward to our next one. I hope we have on board people. All right. See y'all next time.